what's happening everybody and welcome back to another episode of rapping with Reefum. i'm your host keith berkelhammer so on today's live stream i have the pleasure of welcoming back claude schumacher from fauna marine what's going on there claude hey to all people yeah it's still late always when i talk with you <laughs> we have a deep night but i gain one hour because uh, i'm not in germany so it's, uh, yeah, if you were back home in Germany, perfect. it'd be one o'clock in the morning versus uh, midnight. So you're uh, you're on uh, holiday, right? Yeah, that, that was necessary after a few years now. <laughs> <laughs> it took a few years before you went on holiday. Oh, geez. Yeah, you know, Corona, COVID, yeah. and then doing some work and kids and so. I hear you. I hear you. So um, I'm really excited to have Claude back on the show. Claude's the um, the CEO of Fauna Marine. So it's a real pleasure to have him back on and, and looking forward to the uh, to the conversation. I already see there's some questions in the chat. So folks, keep um, putting your comments and questions in the chat. We'll try to, uh, to get to everything. Before we start the chat, though, with Claude, I want to thank the sponsors, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. Really appreciate these companies supporting the show and the live stream. And also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in. Please spread the word. Hit that like button. More people hit that like button. The more people will uh, find the stream. I see we've got over 50 people watching right now and only 12 likes. So we gotta we got to bump up those likes. And, um, yeah, and while you're at it, subscribe to the channel. Why not? You know, what the heck. So, um, Claude, man, we've got, uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. But, um, I don't know, let's, let's start. You know, so I had both Mike Paletta and, uh, and Sanjay on. Uh, Sanjay Yoshi on the uh, live stream last week, and and we talked a little bit mm -hmm. about you know ICP testing. As you know, they um, they both have uh, written articles about. Have talked a lot about uh, ICP testing and and their thoughts on that. And so uh, you know, for folks out there that might not be familiar with what those guys had to say about ICP testing, I think the the gist of it was they both did um, comparisons using the same samples, getting test results from multiple ICP companies and they found there was a lot of variability in the uh, in the test results you know i think um just quoting sanjay don't take the numbers as absolutes evaluate trends review values that stick out of typical norms and don't panic if the trace element numbers are being reported as out of line so um i don't know claude i know i know you have some specific thoughts on on what those guys um you know had to say about icp testing you guys provide a ICP testing service you I've been doing some weekly ICP testing with you folks and and uh, I appreciate the, um, the the kits to do that and, and we're going to talk about the results that uh, I've been seeing we uh, we were tackling you you helped me tackle a uh, an issue with cyano so we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit but um, I don't know Claude just overall in terms of ICP testing there's a lot of different companies out there right and, and there's a lot of um, variability in terms of, I guess you've got different spectrometers that can be used. There's, um, you know, results can vary depending on whether or not um, the uh, the quality of the calibration, the cleaning of the instruments. There's a lot of variables in play, correct? Yes, sure, but um, I think that's not the that's not the main point in um, the discussion what we have uh, with starting with the article from Sanjay. Uh, first of all, the greetings to the two guys. Um, I know them since a long time and we speak with each other and um, I was a little bit, 
wondering about a reaction of this article. So um, everybody who knows Sanjay and Sanjay does a lot of articles, a lot of stuff in the last years know that he can and he know exactly how to do scientific work and how to do um, easy testing. And he do a easy testing uh, to show what is the difference between the labs. And there was too much talk about a specific number. So in this case, he's absolutely right. The number by self or chasing numbers like today is really not the point what you do when you do an ICP. An ICP is a tool, a strong tool, but it's not all. That's what, what we can say to this. One point is, in the discussions of the article was that um, I see a lot of people talking about ICP and how it works, where I, where I see that they don't have the understanding how lab working is and what we do. Our work is to do as fast as possible one of the most difficult laboratory tests, which is available. There's a reason why there's so less labs in the world who can detect seawater and we do aquarium water, which is still a little bit more difficult than uh, uh, natural seawater. The reason is that we have particles, we have organic compounds, we have a lot of things who, dis who can disturb the machines. And we have to do it for very low money and extremely fast. So we have now over 97% within of 24 hours. You see the last test go in five days, which means four days was the journey and when it arrives in the morning, in the afternoon, you get your results. And the, the, the leading companies, the leading um, labs today, I must say they know what they do. That I can say. Yes, there are sometimes difference, but when you have a deeper look in the difference, you see that there are only a few percent. So we don't talk about massive issues. If you look on magnesium, one, two, three percent is a, is a big number. So you can see it. One, two, three percent on zinc or on vanadium, you don't see it. Because it doesn't matter if you have 5.1 or 4.9. And the most discussions we have always when, let me say, we say we have a zinc of 0 0.9 and ATI or Osiamo said in this case, no, I have uh, whatever, I have zero. That means only that we have a number under the um, detection limit because we go in with the OS a little bit deeper, or Osiama sample can show something because they detect with an MS. The real difference between the labs was not that showed exactly, which is not possible in an article like this, uh, which we have today. So, and that's, um, that's one of the points is like we discussed also is the interpretation and the way how to deal with the numbers and not the number by self or the calibration or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it can be um, confusing, you know, it's um, when, you, when you're looking at a couple of numbers, you know, I mean, as an example, you know, Claude, if, if um, you're getting one uh, service that's showing like zero iron and then you're getting another service showing, you know, that you've got some iron levels, how, um, how, yeah. do, you, um, how do you act on that um, information? This depends on the number, you know, when, in, when the one say we have one microgram, and the other one is zero, then I don't care because that could be the same. Um, the one we mostly, I have the feeling that there's not clear what is a microgram. A microgram is this a millionth of part of a gram. 
And if you have one or two, it mostly does not matter. And, as, and the second point is, it's only one test. It becomes interesting to see over five, six, seven, eight tests, then I see what's going on. I need to know which salt you use. Some salts has anti-caking, which is a part of iron of it. So then I, that's a difference. It's a different if you have um, if I have a refugium, it's a difference which, like I say, salt or food or whatever you feed. And it's even a difference if you take it in the morning and in the afternoon, the sample. Right. And um, there we come back to the interpretation so that I need to know who's running the tank, how is running the tank, and then I have the, the lab, and then I check it. And for me, it's way too much view on emotional elements like, uh, like iron, like copper, like uh, whatever. And the most people don't read what this means exactly or which possibilities this element can have. It's like, um, let me say, aluminium. Aluminium can be bad and is something which does not matter because it depends on which way the aluminium is in the water. And the, the, the other thing is, the aluminium by itself says, first time it says nothing. It's the same like sodium. If you take sodium as sample and you have um, 40 pounds of sodium in your reef tank, you'll be, you'll be in trouble. It's only the element we have sodium chloride, which is not a big deal, but sodium by itself is, is a problem in the water for them who has a bit, little bit of knowledge about chemistry. But nowadays, we, it's too emotional and too focused on um, the number and not on the, the relation in the reef tank. So it is... It goes to the reef tank. So it, what problems have the reef tank? So that's mostly the people doing ICP, not when everything runs well. So they do mostly when they have an, if they have an issue. And like you say, we have, uh, you do some changes, you have the cyanobacteria, and I showed you, look here, there, 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 we have a lag. So now we bring it slowly back, and you see that the, the cyanos disappear. Um, or other stuff like uh, Acropora flatworms or whatever. It's not only the number, it's the relation between the numbers and it's the experience behind the people who do the interpretation who knows, okay, go in this direction or this one. So in, in term, getting back in terms of the actual um, you know, equipment that you're using to, to, to um, register ICP test results, you know, there's the, um, the OES uh, spectrometer, the optical emission spectrometer, right? And then there's the, yeah. um, the, um, the mass spectrometer. Which is exactly, is, yeah. is a um, I guess a more commonly used um, spectrometer, maybe not as expensive, if, if that's a, a correct uh, thing to say. No, no, it's a different. It's a different. It's a different technology, which is uh, combined. The MS can uh, detect deeper. There's actually is one in America too uh, who offer the service, but the MS has some disadvantages um, and some advantages, definitely. The question is, if you go that deep, if you know that you have a very, a very deep value, if it's necessary to know if has or it is irrelevant, uh, if you detect 0.1 or 0.0.1 sink, it's too low. <laughs> so we need something over one micrograms, and this we can handle with the OS nowadays. But I must say, uh, with EMS, it had it has some advantages, but it says not automatically it is. Um, it is more accurate. So this can be, but it depends how you work on it. 
Um, you guys have a um, you guys have OES, right? We have actually four OES machines. Um, one of them is a blue. That's the standard which most uh, labs use, but we use them for reverse osmotic because they have some disadvantages against the new one, which is the green which is a 10 years older model or more development in, in optical. And we can go down now till 0.1, so 10 times deeper than the standard glue in seawater levels. So, and that's mostly enough. But uh, we actually build a new uh, lab and we will buy some other machines now. But it will be surprising what we will do so soon, two, three months we're ready. So is, is it would a hybrid approach be the best way to go using utilizing OES as well as MS to uh... Def, definitely okay. the best would be if we can get it together to say do that detection what MS is good and to that detection with the OS is good and bring them then together later in the lab is anybody doing that at this point or is it just one or the no, other not yet not yet not yet no one or the other and like I say maybe be a surprising what we do. So let's, uh, all right, so I mentioned cyano, you just mentioned cyano in terms of the issue that I was having with cyano. I'm going to play a, um, a little before and after video of what was going on. I sent this to Claude um, a couple of months ago. So this is one of my propagation tanks and one of my systems. And, uh, you know, as you can see, there's um, some pretty decent cyano on the tiles of these um, colonies and, and on the bottom, bare bottom of the, uh, the tank. I've got some of this uh, red cyano. I've got some green cyano. So, and now this is a, uh, this week, okay? Same tank. And uh, you can see there's a lot less cyano in the, uh, in the tank. And this is connected to my display tank, which also had some cyano. The other tank that uh, I had, a 50-gallon uh, frag tank connected to the whole system as well, didn't have as much of the, uh, the cyano in there. And... Um, so yeah, so Claude was um, <clears throat> was very helpful in terms of I think you know his advice, which you know one I think one piece of advice Claude that you um, suggested, which is a, a well known thing that um, I know is uh, something you need to do, which is manual removal of the cyano, which um, you know sometimes that can be difficult if you've got a lot of cyano and and it's in a lot of nooks and crannies and 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 what have you. So. Laziness can can kind of um, come into play there if you constantly are getting the cyano and you need to constantly remove it uh, manually. It can get frustrating, which means that uh, potentially you could take some shortcuts and use uh, some chemicals to get at to eliminate that cyano, which won't solve the issue, right? I mean, if I hit that tank a couple of months ago with a um, you know uh, like a chemi clean or what have you, and the root cause of the cyano wasn't solved i'm pretty sure that cyano would have come back yeah sure they come back right because uh, you if all these uh stuff which you can all this antibiotic stuff who works within of two three days comes from the u.s because we in europe we are not allowed to sell it we're not allowed to use it it's really they handle it's it taboo it's over there huh? it's completely taboo and they handle it like you sell drugs so that's the same so you be really, you have really a problem when you do that. So, and uh, nowadays some imported products come in because it's not marked on the product line, but that's the difference between the US products and the European product. We have to write down and we have to follow these uh, strict rules about uh, um, chemicals which are um, 
under specific law. So, okay, that's why we search other ways to clean it. And my way is way more to go on this direction to say, okay, bring the tank back to the natural relation and help the courage and the biology to come back. If that happens, there's no more reason for cyanus to grow because um, that's also a little bit of misunderstanding. Cyanobacters are great. That's really good that they come because they use energy which cannot be transferred into biomass. The nature brings them to keep the system stable. Without them, our tanks will be will will be uh, damaged way faster because when we have rotten areas, when we have too much nutrients, all the things which cannot be transferred to biomass, which means it will again goes to the courts or to the other one. So cyanobacteria shows us, okay, there's going something wrong, there's some disrelation, and you have time, you have a lot of time to turn that back, and it goes faster when you remove them manually, that's right, but in big tanks or huge tanks, it's not possible. And I focus way more to say I don't change so a lot of things with chemical, because the chemical, if you use antibiotics, you always have trouble because you also um, fight against bacteria on your corals and on your biology. And that keeps sometimes problems which comes months later. So after the cyanus coming dinoflagellates, after dinoflagellates come perapsis. And that's all have the reason of too much using of antibiotics. It can go good, it's possible, but not always. And so I decide to use all the data about the lab and the experience what we have to say, okay, what is the best way to bring it back? And it's a long time experience what I have. If you do it slowly and step by step, you will have later a way more stable system as when you do it fast. Maybe it's like us human when we're losing weight, so it's maybe better to do it slowly. <laughs> it's more. <laughs> um, a quick question from Andy. Um, does Claude see cyano more often in older tanks? Older versus younger tanks, mm. does it matter? Uh, different ones, yeah. We have the starting, the starts nowadays with the artificial materials creating a lot of cyanos, but if they come and they go, that's not a big deal. But the loss syndrome is still there. Um, old tank syndrome, yeah. we called earlier, but nowadays it's, uh, we say Lars to it. You Lars, know it. what's that? A lazy ass reefer oh, syndrome. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you um, go. Yeah, and the next problem is too, too much dosing of wrong bacteria, um, which is not a good idea. Bacteria, as in a bottle, can be helpful if you have a problem, but there's uh, way too much dosing of them instead of looking for a stability biology which comes from corals. And this happens nowadays to the two main reasons. Earlier, we had some live rock, and then we put a lot of corals in. Now we have um, artificial rock and we put only some small frags, so we have no biomass. Mm. And we have two less bacteria from the corals, not from the uh, nitrogen nitrification bacteria. They, I don't care of them. So very often too much surface, um, too, much, too less biomass, too much light and too much dosing of a lot of things like amino acids, food, and, and, and bacteria. Which yeah, is that, that was one of the things you said to me a few months ago. It's like you're doing too much, you're dosing too much, 
cut out the aminos, you know, stop dosing coral food, um, stop, um, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I think that you, you said that, um, you called it like over fertilization. I think it was that that's the, yeah, you were, yeah, and you were totally surprised. <laughs> Why stop? Why stop this? Why stop this? Yeah, stop it. Nothing happens. And you see nothing happens. So. And, and it was interesting because um, when I made the changes that you were suggesting, and I'm going to get into showing the charts in terms of some of the uh, the elements and, and the um, the changes I made in terms of dosing certain elements. But um, the cyano actually got a little worse after um, I started making these changes. And, and your rationale was that um, there needs to be some sort of transitional period. The, the, the reef tank is making its kind of... Um, it needs time to recalibrate, I think, is what you were saying. Yeah, you can do it faster. You know, I I told you from beginning on that you have to have a look on your iodine. So, so I'm gonna show I'm gonna show it, the, the chart of my iodine levels right here. Um, and, and it and it took some time till you get it up. Yeah. So um, this is uh, I think my first test with you guys was back in January of this year, and my uh, my iodine levels were. Um, what what is what is the uh, what are we looking at here? Uh, you're, you might not be looking at it, um, Claude, but what's the um, this the scale is five hundred um, micromules? Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, and and so back um, back in January, really through end of April, my iodine levels were kind of low, but then I think the cyano started kind of getting a little bit uglier as um, the iodine levels peaked. Which was back in uh, back in June for this particular um, system. So I was dosing a lot of iodine. That was one of the things I was dosing a lot of. And, and you pretty much said stop dosing the iodine. Yeah. And um, also the um, the other thing that I stopped dosing was iron. And um, as you can see from this chart right here, my iron levels were really pretty low up until. The um, the beginning of July, end of uh, June, that's when I started dosing a lot of iron. And I mentioned earlier in the uh, in the live stream that you know if you see a zero on an ICP test, what what does that potentially mean? You know, should should you be acting on that? Should you really start dosing a lot of that element if you're seeing zero? If you're seeing zero 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 week after week or month after month, you know, there's there's a depletion going on there. And I think that's what I was looking at. I had two different periods of I had zero iron. So I really ramped up my iron dosing. And as you could see, it yep. really uh, spiked. Yeah, but then I stopped. Um, yeah, that was good. <laughs> so <laughs> As zero means not that it is to dose. So it's clear a difference. If I have strontium zero or iodine zero or calcium zero, then I have a problem. So then I have to dose. That's not the point. But when we go to iron, chromium, uh, cobalt, or something like that, these are elements which are such low, and usually they have way more than enough in food or in their care systems inside. So now we have in the U.S. a little bit different as in the Europe. In Europe, most people working with, uh, with care systems, which are complete systems. So that means they're not dosing only alkalinity and calcium and magnesium, but they have also all the trace elements in ready prepare mixes. So our system calls Balling Light. Balling Light is uh, unique in this case. It's one of the oldest ones. It's um, starting in 1996, 97. we're starting with that system. 
which make it very easily to dose trace elements, the necessary elements, included calcium, included carbonate with two canisters. You can add it and then you have everything in. Usually you have way more than enough of the elements in a standard systems. Cause the system is make for limitation. And cores can work very good with limitation, but what they hate like plants is when they over fertilized. And a zero means only one thing, that in the sample was no more iron detectable for the machine. It means not that is no iron or nothing in the water. And I will give you a small explain about why this misunderstanding happens. If you look to the seawater in a, in a, in a reef, the water by itself is extremely clean. You will find extremely low levels of trace elements, extremely low levels of, of anything. The standard elements are there, they are stable all over the world, but elements by self, it's not very high. For what reason? The corals grow good. The reason is they have food. And in the food, and if you look on your, on your bottle of fish food, you see that we have milligrams, so a thousand times more as we have in the water we have in the food. Every time when the coral eats something, she gets all the elements she needs. So who tells that a coral take all the energy to get one microgram of iron or one microgram of zinc out of the water? It costs a lot of energy to produce, the, to open the protein tunnels, to get the element into. It's easier, way easier and more effective when she eats something. Because mm. corals can do that. Right. So, And you feed all the time and you dose all the time. So it's not only the dosing by the element, it's also by the feeding. As long as the feeding and the care system is enough, you don't need to dose additional iron, chrome and cobalt. I think the problem today is that even now we do soon a change to this is that's not clear about the uh, data which comes from the tests, which is to those and which not. But it's also very hard for us to say when you have to dose and when not without knowing the aquarium. Mm. With you was easy because I get the feedback. So I have picture. I have the feedback we talk about. We say the iron is too high, iodine is too high, the fluorine is too low. You have to raise there. And you see that we don't go too specific on this element. We go over all elements. And then we say put this and this, and this will have the effect on the I'm other. I'm going to show – this is really cool um, what you guys have here, Claude, with the uh, ICP service that Fawn Marine has. You've got um, – this is called a, uh, a cyanobacteria forecast, so it's an I ICP forecast. And, and what we're looking at here is, um, you know, so this was the most recent weekly test that I got back from you guys. And it's, we're looking at iodine, fluoride, um, a, a ratio of nitrate to orthophosphate, as well as bromine. And so those are kind of the, uh, the key indicators, right? And you can see all of those are in green. So... If um, if some of those are out of whack and into yellow and even into the um, peach, pink, whatever you want to call that color, then there's a you know what 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 that what that is saying. Then that is potential for uh, development of cyanobacteria if, if you don't already have it. Yeah, that's um, that's a forecast system. So the the forecast system works on 
AI-based calculations. It's one times experience. The other one is the AI about all the tests what we do in the last uh, years, which is we we use actually a, a data about 120,000, 130,000 of tests and the feedback of the customers what they have. So and it learns every day because we do every day 300, 400 tests, and so it learns better and better and better. And we have this for dinoflagellates, for cyanos, whatever. As soon as the, 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 the relation changes, there are also some other relations like uh, iodine and strontium, which we have in the deeper calculation, but we show this one because it's still complicated with all the numbers. Um, I can guarantee if you, if you bring these relations in, a, in the right lane, then you will not have any signals. If you have them, you bring them that it could change. It could take some weeks till they come, but then they're done. So and they never come. And this system shows you before, weeks before, shows you, hey, if you follow the way how you treat your tank now, you will have a possibility of 80, 90 percent that you will get cyanobacteria or dinos or RTN or STN, whatever. And it's clear to see. Even also on on the Sunshine ICP it was clear to see why he had at this time some issues and why not, even also on, on the Mike Paletta's reef tank. It was clear to see why they're dark, why they come to here. And this is all over the world really the same. The difference is how the tanks are treated, which, which type of material, which types of salts. And they're like all over the world. There are some good quality products. There are some ah, snake oil. <laughs> so it's uh, difficult. I cannot say names on it, but it's really, really difficult. And mostly... It's a lack, most it's a lack of very, very important elements like fluoride. And um, I can understand why this is not so nice for production because it's dangerous good. You have to protect your workers. It's extremely expensive. Even lithium and whatever um, is expensive in these cases. So you save a lot of money if you don't add it in full amounts into the product and it's more easy to produce because it's really dangerous stuff. Uh, dangerous uh, stuff if you work with it because you know when you produce 8, 10, 15 tons of salt you have to deal with kilos of that and not only with a few milligrams. As soon as these elements are in the salts mixed and in the water and they have the amount of seawater they are never dangerous. Dangerous is the high amount in production, mm. the dust which, are, which is not too deep and even fluorine is nothing which is easy to handle. So that's that's no joke. Um, we have really to take care of fluorine in this case. So, all right, and, and you mentioned cobalt as another um, you know element, and that was another element that I was dosing a lot of. And um, I think I've got a, a chart of my uh, my cobalt levels. So yeah, you can kind of see what was going on with me and, and and cobalt. I had three different tests that showed that I had zero cobalt. So I'm like, all right. I need to dose a lot more of the uh, the cobalt, and again, it coincided with the time when I, my, my cyano really um, peaked. And you know, yep. and you looked at that data, and again said, "Stop dosing the cobalt." And then uh, I went back to you, you know, because that latest test on uh, eight twenty four right there again is zero. I'm like, "All right, should I start dosing cobalt again?" And I, I asked the same question about iron because I had two weeks in a row of zero results with iron. You're like, "No." Don't because there, there's there's good there, the corals are getting enough, and I guess what you were saying before is that <clears throat> the corals are getting enough from the food that they're receiving. Are you talking about fish food? Are you talking about specific yeah. coral food? 
No specific coral foods and fish food, if they're made good, then they have uh, the vitamins, uh, B vitamins inside them. On uh, B vitamins, the cobalt is one of the part. And these are all parameters where MS is quite interesting because they can go deeper. But on the other way is uh, when I detect cobalt on a certain level, it means not automatically it is relevant, uh, even when I go very down. We need extremely very less uh, amount of this element. So selenium, for example, or, or cobalt or chromium, we need extremely low levels. We need them, but when you check the MS, you can see that usually we have a little bit an amount, 0.1, 0.23 is always in the water and coming with salt, with food, with fish food in the tank always. So, you know, in, in this um, era of... Um you know, the ICP testing and a lot of data and a lot of numbers and acting on the data and, and trying to make informed decisions and, 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 and not trying to overreact. It is tough to not overreact when you're seeing consistent zeros. How, um, you know, what, what would you say in terms of what reef keepers should, should not worry as much about in terms of dosing? We, we already talked about iron. We've talked about cobalt. I think manganese was another one you told me to, um, to stop dosing. I think um, nickel was another one. Are those no? Uh -huh. No, that was different. That was, was that zinc? That yeah, no, no, that was um, that was manganese and, and iron. Okay. So at the end, it is really simple. Um, if the tank comes into a limitation of one certain element, which is rare, it comes not very often, and Mostly these are frack tanks, which a big skimmer, a lot of uh, adsorbers or whatever, and then uh, a lot of uh, corals in and no fish food or something like in come in. So these tanks, they can have an, a limitation very often. Mostly we have way too much on elements inside, not too less, but the view is only on a zero number and not on the other elements. Um, a limitation of iron is clear to see, the same as a limitation of mangan, for example. But as soon as you feed your fish, you have enough iron and manganese in the water. Even if you start to feed with goniopora food or whatever things, you have way more than enough. And you can read it on a, the good products. They showed what is in and they showed the elements on the bottles. And then you see automatically that you dose on milligrams. A small calculation and you see you dose way, way is more enough over the food. If your tank then still have some issues and if all the other elements are in line and okay and then you can find out okay now we have an iron or we have a detection uh, we have a limitation of um, manganese then we dose it but that that's that's the point that's the end that's playing around with colors is playing around with the things before we have to check the light before we have to check the nutrients the halogens like iodine fluorine bromine strontium calcium levels the phosphate nitrate uh, relation 1 to 100. These are the points in 99.9% .9 of all the reef tanks which makes the problems. Salinity. Salinity is a problem. You cannot believe that. Um, I have maybe two, three, four tanks in a year which have really uh, iron limitation. And these tanks are mostly dead tanks who have a very high phosphate mm. level. With the very high phosphate or phosphate dosing, you creating limitations which you don't need to do if you stop to dose 
uh, phosphates in the water. So it's always also the reaction. So like we explained last time, if you have very low fluorine, you cannot stabilize the iodine. Without a stable iodine, you cannot control your nutrients. So that's why if you go to the test, you see it, this, the, the relation values and the billion and the middle values. And if you go to these values, you're automatically in the right relations. And then you don't need to dose every element. Gotcha. All right, let's, um, let's shift gears here, um, Claude, and let's talk about dinos. And um, I, know, um, <laughs> I know there's a lot of folks out there that, uh, that uh, you know, have a, um, you know, want, want to try to, like, solve this problem. It's a big problem out there, and there's a lot of theories out there. You know, I um, actually just put a video out when I had um, both Jake Adams and Chris Meckley on a couple of years ago on, on, the, uh, on the show, and they talked about um, temperature, raising temperature, and also dosing iron to help um, combat uh, dinos, either, um, either or or both, doing both. Um, well, curious, what do, you, what do you think about those theories in terms of raising the temperature to like 82, 83, and also increasing your iron dosing to get rid of dinos? I have no idea why they come to this idea. Um, a typical situation nowadays, one or two have success, maybe, or they think they had success because they raise up the temperature. And within a seconds, whole over the world, oh, let us raise the temperature. Um, but why I get them? So I don't dose dinoflagellates. They, they, they must be in the reef tank before it starts. And the, and the dinos is a very simple thing. Usually in 90% of all the reef situations, what we have, we have a lack of elements which needs the coral to protect her from light. We have aggressive, very aggressive LED lights on tanks which are very low stocked with very low biomass and which are not detect um, the nutrients and the halogen levels. Molybdenum is one of the key elements about um, of um, dinoflagellates, same as fluorine, iodine, and a high lighting. So, and I'm um, showing um, another um, ICP forecast. This yeah. is the dinos forecast, ICP forecast. Yeah, there you can... There you can see it exactly, uh, which elements So this was are. for my, uh, one of my systems, iodine, fluoride, you mentioned, then um, bromine and molybdenum, and then there's that uh, ratio nitrate to orthophosphate. Mm. No, your tank has not a problem, because it was not the, the light uh, heavy. You have your stocked, and you have a high iodine. The, um, the other thing have a problem is if you have a, a very high tin concentration or a single element like zinc or copper, which is high and the other are on zero. So this relation on this can be, because then the most cores, the most dinoflagellates, what we get nowadays is that they release the toxantels out from the body and they can survive on the ground when there is a depot full of phosphate or full of nutrients like iron, like manganese, then the dinoflagellates can survive on the surface and then they starting to act as a dinoflagellate as they do usually in nature before the coral take them in. So we find out, meanwhile, we, we do some genetical tests about the dinos. We found, meanwhile, three or four of these species, which we can find out that they are also in the cores. And the other two's not yet, but maybe we bring them in with the rocks or with the cores, I don't know. 
But in 90% of all the things, it's a light problem. So dinoflagellates come from too much light. And the first thing is reduce the light, do an ICP test, give up all, of, give up, uh, all the halogen levels like fluorine, like iodine, bring them in line, nutrients 1 to 100, and one week later, two weeks later, the, dino, the dinos are gone. Nutrients 1 to 100 in terms of nitrates to phosphates. Yeah, one to yeah, hundred. Yeah. Yep. Um, Polo one one two six. Thank you so much for that super chat. Great conversation as always. And here's my down payment on that purple monster frag. Well, you're gonna have to make about a hundred more of those uh, super chat uh, <laughs> donations for that purple monster frag. <laughs> um, thank you, Polo one one two six. I appreciate it. So, what what also um, should we be uh, thinking about, Claude, in terms of uh, dinos? Does it? Um, you said the hundred to one ratio in terms of nutrients. So, um, obviously, zero nitrates is not a good thing. Zero phosphates is not a good thing. You want to um, you want to get those levels up. The zero nitrate, zero phosphate coming from a time where we where we work with zeolites. So, so we use a filtration material. It was a zeolite and. Nowadays, if people use them, they get fear about uh, aluminium. Maybe you need to explain that zeolites are a mineral which calls aluminium silicate. So these particles can be also in the test, even if you use syringes like we do, um, 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 uh, syringe filters, sorry, like we do. And so the aluminium goes high, but it does not matter because it comes from zeolite. So, and the, the sense for the zeolite filtration was always one thing, to reduce the unwanted elements like iron and manganese, which are too much in, and to give the possibility to dose them, which we want, like zinc, vanadium, um, molybdenum, and copper, and together with the nutrients, together with a little bit of, not the nitrate, we use ammonia and urea, and the phosphate, which we use then the phosphate on another product or over the food. So the cores absorbed it, the bacteria absorbed it. We have the detection of zero, but the tank was fully stocked with nutrients. Now, nowadays, today, where zeolite is not that common, I, I say to the most people going to 004 and uh, phosphate and to 345 nitrate. Raise it up in this way, and this brings the most stability in system. That's the best level, in my opinion. What uh, what happens though when the dinos are absorbing all the nutrients, and you're getting zero readings, and you might not have zero readings? I mean, how do you how do you get a, a true accurate read on on nutrients when when the dinos are potentially absorbing it all? You can go over a food. So in um, our product, you which, how you can use it, it's cover dust or it is from Polyblub, it's um, reef rights, for example. It's a great source of uh, particleized uh, phosphate. You put that um, in a glass of water and let it, let it stay for one hour so it can release a little bit of phosphate and then you start the feeding. You reduce the light, you start the feeding, and so step by step it comes back. Usually you have enough depot in the water. So uh, on the surface, it's not, you only detect a zero phosphate in the water, but in the surface on the rocks, they have enough stuff. So you can also lower a little bit the, um, the pH and immediately then the phosphate level raise up again. You know, you hear a lot of people also say dosing bacteria will help dose uh, pods and all that stuff increase the, um, the biodiversity. Is, is yeah. that something that is, uh, is something that could help? Yes, it, it can help if they are if they are normal standard bacteria, then it can help. 
Um, my experience is not that much from beginning on. So it's better to let the standard biology let it run and keep the bacteria for a time when you have issues. So it can help to speed up the things. Because um, there are also bacteria on the market which are a little bit difficult because they are um, extremely good to absorb nitrate, as sample. These uh, pure pure bacteria um, smell a little bit like rotten eggs. They, they take nitrate out very fast, but the problem is that they bring acid and sulfur in the bottom and store a lot of sulfur and phosphate in the sand bed. And that creating then cyanobacteria later. At the beginning, they, they fight against the cyanobacteria because they take the nitrate, but if you stop them dosing or if you let it run for seven, eight months, 12 months, then you will get cyanobacteria or dinoflagellates due to the situation that the bottom and the surface is full of nutrients and sulfur, which brings the pH down. Difficult. Yeah. Um, so, you know, another way I think to combat certain types of dinos is uh, the use of UV sterilizers, right? If you've got the, uh, the free-floating um, dinos, you can... That um, that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. There is a great, uh, there's also a great group in, um, from Jason Mack, which is a friend from, from the Netherlands. And he has uh, the dinoflagellate support group. A lot of he was on the show. Here. Ah, hi, yeah. Jason. And um, it's a great guy. He helps a lot of people about out. Um, they have in UK, they're still very often uh, dosing uh, silicate for some Dinoflagellates, in my opinion, it's not necessary. It takes way too long. It's always to check is what is the situation in the reef tank because there are different possibilities. And then starting with the light, starting with the technology which is used, and then um, UV or bacteria can help to speed up the things before the dinos becoming too strong or too toxic. It's a good thing to work with this, but it's always individual. So you have to check the ICP, then to check this. And what I see in all the ICPs um, in this group all the time is always the same. So you have a low molybdenum level, you have a low iodine level. And what I can say also is that we have in the different countries, very different amounts of uh, dinoflagellates. So we have some countries which are way more and way higher amounts of dinos as we have in other countries. And if I look to the, to the primary care systems they, they use, they, which are mostly used, and I see how they are, um, how is the composition of them, and then I know exactly why this country have way more of these issues than other countries. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> there's some stuff is missing which have to have which have to be in the product. And if it's not in, the end is that you have a little bit more. So I can say you one sample. Um, from all the samples which you get from UK, we have only 32, 33% which have the right iodine level. Mm. In Germany, Example: We are on 68. With um, our products using, we are on 87 percent, which is on the right iodine level. And that shows you exactly. Uh, it's it's not one aquarium. It's these are my data's over thousands of aquariums. You see exactly that in the in the composition of the products they use in this country is something not correct. Gotcha. Um and, and one sidebar question about UV sterilizers. Do, are, are you a, a believer in using UV 24-7 on a reef tank? Or do you think that um, is something that... I don't use them. You don't use them? 
what what's what's your um what's your rationale you, you just um why 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 don't you think they're good 24 7 on reef tank you think they just impact the microbiome in a in a negative way um a healthy reef tank has so less bacteria in the water column that you don't need that so that's uh, for me it's a good tool if you have problems then you add it i would i would always go to um to an ozone generator with a mm. very little amount of ozone. I'm not very sure I little. have the guts to use ozone. I love it. So <laughs> for me it's, yeah, ozone and carbon together is for me the best uh, situation to go on reef tanks, to, ca to keep them clean, healthy, to reduce the organic compounds. Um, a, strong UV, um, a strong UV also produces a little bit of ozone in the water. And it destroys the um, long molecules, the color bodies, whatever, but not as that good as the ozone do. If you don't use too much ozone, if you use the ozone like they print on the machines, it's way too much. We use 10% of it maximum, and then the will not destroy in too small breaks because then the skimmer cannot remove them out. So that's why sometimes people report with ozone that the skimmer works better, mm. and some report the, the, the skimmer works bad. At this case, when the skimmer works bad, the ozone was too strong. It's, we, we cannot smell the ozone in, in our rooms when we use it. We use very, very little amounts, but constantly. Gotcha. Um, let, me, let me just um, get a couple of uh, quick questions from the uh, from the viewers here and then we'll uh, go back to the uh, ICP uh, forecast that you guys do um, the circle derp can you explain the coral vitality product <laughs> the coral vitality is a top of a mixture of different organic acids amino acids vitamins and some um, oils fatty acids which brings the corals a little bit glow better grow and it uh, it's mainly made for the bacteria on the corals so for the that they can take grow better and we go on the flower bacteria which is a specific group who keeps the coral healthy and we try to feed them and give them all the necessary all the necessary um, elements and nutrients they need to have a good grow and that brings a better coloration a better grow to the corals but if the course is not good, it's sometimes a little bit tricky. So this is a top-on product for the guys who wants to play around to get a little shiny yellow ring on the on the stacks on it. It's <laughs> not to need in a normal roof tank. Kind of fine-tuning some colors there and some. Yeah, that's a crazy product. So that's. Yeah. Um, All right, we got another question from Shallow Reefing. I may be late to this, but can you explain the coral balance product in detail? How do we know it works? The coral balance is a very simple thing is um, product who adsorb, um, who make all the phosphate, um, take them out in organic phosphate, which is skimmable. And at the same time, it adsorbs uh, color bodies and bring it also to the skimmer. Then it turns some nitrogen levels back to urea and give it then to the corals as food. So that's like uh, we had some years ago, we had some products like uh, coral snow, Yep. or fine, um, fine carbonates or um, zeolite powder to clean the water. And this is the development then as, a, as one to clean the water and the other side to provide some food then for the corals and for the bacteria. Gotcha. So um, 
let's let's go to another ICP uh, forecast here. This is a, a diatoms forecast that uh, we're looking at, and it pretty much is is um, showing that silicon is the uh, the element that you need to be. Um, In this case, yes. Yeah. So, right, high silicon, and one source of high silicon can silicon can be from. RODI water, right? If or if you're not using RODI water and you've got a lot of silicates in there, yeah, um, it's in Europe very often. Cause we use um, some uh, sort of silicates will be used in the tap water systems to clean them and to protect them for aggressive um, calcareous surface. So they they add the silicate in the water, and they don't do that all the time. They do that um, monthly, weekly. And, and shortly in high amounts, and if that goes then through the reverse osmotic water systems, then it can cause this um, diotin blooms in the system. Uh, but that's also in every country a little bit different. Claude, man, I'm really digging these forecasts. You know, I didn't even realize that they were on your um, on your website until you uh, pointed it out to me. And then I started really digging around on there, and I was like, man, this is um, this is pretty cool stuff. It's pretty interesting. There's also a uh, a thread algae forecast so I'm, I'm assuming that's like hair algae that type of stuff and again you're looking at uh, iodine fluoride uh, iron and manganese in this case as well as nitrate and ortho um, phosphate so mm. i don't have any of the uh the thread algae in my system so it uh, seems to be uh, i seem to be in a good spot there i don't have any diatoms either i should mention although it said i got a risk for uh, for diatoms yeah it means that's a possible risk so cause as long as I don't, you know, the light samples plays a big role. If you dose, um, let me say, products which is full of vitamins, so too much vitamins or too much amino acids, which I cannot detect over the ICP, plays a role if the if you get a fast outbreak or not. And um, a forecast tells at the first way. You have to risk that this will happen if you follow the, the route. It will happen definitely. The question is only if it's uh, if it's worse or it's a strong or it comes later or not. It um, as as long as we don't have the full data from every reef tank, then we cannot say exactly when it starts. But um, we opened the we opened um, the labs account uh, and asked the people to add the light informations on it so we have you know it's the powerwise on the market and we use the powerwise um, to let the people check the levels the power levels and we bring it together with the different type of um, of elements and it shows exactly that what we say before that uh, dinos and different other uh, things is also a light question so how many blue light is in how many problems i have and a sample on the dinoflagellate, so we go back to them. We have some LEDs on the market now working with UV. And the UV go very deep down, and the UV makes no sense. It is completely stupid. I have no idea why some people acting around, I see that in the US, and telling UV comes from the sun, everything comes from the sun is good. If that happens, then go to the beach in Miami Beach, you can see them, they're all red, so that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the UV stuff is for the coral a very simple thing. Yes, it is. You can find the one or other bacteria, dinoflagellate, who can use UV also to make energy. But this is not the point how our corals use. You know, 
So they use the normal light, what we see, and then they have the normal zooxanthellin, what they use, and they need all the energy to protect them from the radiation. It's not light. Light is that what we see. Radiation is that what you don't see. And for the cores, it is stress. And if they don't have the elements, and in this case, it is fluorine, it is iodine, it is molybdenum. Molybdenum is extremely uh, um, important of, in this case of dinos. Then they can build the protection shields against the radiation. So the cores keeps healthy. But this need the core need an energy for that so why the um why it's using uv i have no idea why some leds do that um you see on the ecotech on the g6 uh, g5 that they don't use the uv and you see amazing reef tanks and corals growing like like wheat under these leds so uh, this is to prove that you don't need the uv and um, we had this discussion, or I see at Polar Reef one times that the guys running around say we need UVB on it. It is the first thing; it's dangerous for the workers around. So, right. The second thing is I don't know if they ever read physics. So UVB goes 40 centimeters, which is um, one foot, I think, a little bit deeper. You lost uh, 60 percent, and another foot you lost 90 percent of the UVB. So in a reef tank like at Polar Reef, the sample in uh, the half of the course never see anything of the UVB because it's done. So and I have no idea why these these ideas coming. So cause cause it comes from the sun. I think um, yeah. So what you're talking about is, is what you're talking about is basically that the the theory that uh, metal halide lighting has the UVB, LED lighting does not have the UVB. Um, there um, have been some anecdotal, you know, cases where there's been some RTN STN episodes under um, LEDs versus halides. So that has, I think, raised the question of whether or not um, the uh, the LEDs have that. Um, protection that the corals would need in terms of that UVB light. Yeah, but that's also wrong. The most bulbs which are sold in the world have UV stop or the glass on this is a UV stop glass, which which was necessary by law right. to protect the people. So there are very little uh, um, metal halides running around with UVB. And if you if you give the cores that what they need, they can handle it. That's not a problem. They have UVB in the nature. But like I say, UVB, if you go deeper in the UV, it goes not that deep in the water. So a coral which, which sits in 50 meters depth, she has UVA, yes, but not UVB anymore so that right. makes no sense to 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 create some protection or to create that light on, on that and on the on the led uh, on the metal halide the metal halide gives a gives the metal halide and it's the same like we have uh, when we look back to the lights the metal halides have a constant and um and a stable spectrum coming all the time the light goes there Yes, the, the ballast, they changed the power, but it was all the time light on it. So for the coral, it's like I press the light a little bit like that, and it floats everything. Then the T8 lamps, which we have, the big ones, we have issues with the corals because they spread the light like this. The first LEDs, what we get, make the same. The T5 make it with 30,000 hertz. So it's a constant uh, spectra which comes to the coral. And that's why T5, metal halide, and now the modern LED, which don't have this flicker effect, 
we have a success on the course and a good success and it has nothing to do with the uv because the uv is stress for the course and she needs they need a lot of energy to protect them and you have to take care of your elements what what about the theory of um you know the uv uh, light um killing some of the coral pathogens that could uh, impact the corals yeah. that 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 was really something which which i have to love on it at the moment i read that I have, I cry, I have tears in my eyes for loving. <laughs> Look, let us see, that's a piece of a coral, okay? So now we have an Acropora flatworm. So Acropora flatworm goes up to make sun bathing. <laughs> sure not, they never make it. So where they are, they stay here. So how many UV they have? Zero. They don't care about that, that shit. So well, I'm talking about like pathogenic bacteria. Why? If that is real, we have no, we have no reefs which are which have problems with bacteria due to the situation which we have outside. We have massive issues outside with full UV radiation. Mm. The bacteria don't care of that because they 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 can be even if that happens, then they can they go down here. They're under the surface, so no, I don't think so. That's that's not the point. So. All right, I want to um, I want to go through a few more of your forecasts. Um, specifically, you mentioned uh, aggregating flatworms. You got the parasites forecast, the RTN forecast, and the STN forecast. But um, I know you also wanted to um, Claude talk about cotton candy uh, algae, and in, in terms of how potentially to um, eradicate that or prevent that. Yeah, that that comes now. So I think in the next uh, few days we have to forecast for uh, candy cotton because that comes. Oh, okay, it's going to be on there. Yeah. Okay. It's I, I think it's not yet ready. So maybe in two three days it it uh, comes then online. Um, we have now about 1,000 1,500 uh, tanks which has these, and we find clear numbers. We had ideas before because um, candy cotton was in the last years not a, not a big deal, not a big problem. In the last few months it comes more. I, not sure why uh, it happens now, but it's always the same. Acropora flatworms, um, Montipora snails, or some algae stuff comes in waves. So every time over the year, it comes in most in June and in, the, and in the September, end of September, people reporting now we have Montipora snails. So And uh, then they go down in October, then you heard it never in these amounts. Um, the forecasts, and if you go to aquapore flatworms. So I'm going to go to the parasites forecast. Yeah, the parasite forecast is now over all parasites. Um, I call about bugs and I call about aquapore flatworms in Maine. And the specific reason behind is following. If the core is healthy and the course has enough specific elements, in this case, sulfate and fluorine and strontium sample, they can produce their own antiparasitic molecules, which they can fight against the worms and keep them very low. In reef tanks, which has a lot of um, Acropora flatworms, and we raise up the levels on on the right levels. You see that um, the amount of worms they go down. They go on one, two, three specific acroporas, and if you clean them, 
you can get rid of them over the time. We never have, in these tanks, we never have these massive outbreaks. If the elements it, that you're um, talking about are in line. Yes, or in this case, I go a little bit higher. So instead of uh, sample fluorine, instead of 1.5, then I go to 1.8, 1.9. So nearer to the border, which becomes then dangerous. But this helps the corals then to fight themselves and they and way less acropores or way less corals get in, infected by these parasites as we have in these tanks uh, where you find very low levels of these um, elements and then they are quite strong, which is which is quite uh, um, normal because um, the corals, they need, like plants, they need some, they need their nutrients, they need, they, they need their, their, their nutrition and they need the elements. And if they don't have it, they suffer. And, and, and if you suffer, if you are not strong, that's the same for us also. Less sleep, no good food, you will be faster ill if, as if you are in a good condition. And even if you get ill, you're not that ill like you have if you are suffering or, or starving a lot of. And that's the point um, in this case. And we find it also out over the time that it's way better to clean. Even if it's possible that some tanks even get an outbreak of worms or some bacteria, like we have actually, we have a lot of problems with the archobacteria or, or um, vibrio diseases. And that happens even in tanks, which are really, really good in and that's what we see in the ICP. But like I say at the beginning, ICP is a tool. It's not all which, uh, which you have to take care of for the reef tank. So it's also the food, it's also the light, it's also other parameters. And looking at the corals, right? That's always uh, a key is looking to see if the corals are happy. Yeah, yeah, sure. So they have... Um, <laughs> but you know... Um, for us, sometimes it's it's easy to say this and say, yeah, look at the course, you can see it. But as a beginner, so that's the same when they say, yeah, press the button on your computer. It's like, oh, which fucking button I have to test? So why it don't work? No, so it's clear. Press here. Say, I don't understand what I have to press. So why this shit does not working? I can really understand people starting that that, that hobby. Uh, they have way too much information. So and too much wrong information and too much information from people nowadays which has no experience they they have social their media own yes also social media but but that's that's also point is um that um one say now use kalk water that's the best so then hundreds of people say okay i take kalk water no idea what is the advantage of that system and what is the disadvantage of the system? And if it's okay for my system, maybe for the other guy it's okay because he has a coral farm, he, ha he can clean the bottom, he, has, he do ICP, he take care of his elements. The other guy have a mixed reef tank and is all the time two ways out of the house. Then it could be a worse idea. Right. So there's, there's no more discussions about it is good for me it is good for my reef tank, yes and no. And for that, you need experience. But nowadays, a lot of people don't have this experience. They have experience for one tank, and that they take out. And that's the problem nowadays. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 true. If you're if you're, you know, I, I was noticing some, some comments in the chat. There's um there's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of information out there, and that can be yeah. kind of overwhelming for a beginner 
to um mm. to to kind of take that all in and to try to figure out which way to go and you've got social media where you've got people talking about doing it this way that way the other way and and uh you know usually it comes down to trying to simplify things keep things simple yes absolutely you need a skimmer you need a little bit of carbon you need good flow you need some lights and it it it, it is possible today with the most lights which you can buy even when you start with a cheaper one you can run a reef tank with standard and normal cords which everybody grows and which you can get cheap so um if you try to keep now the the fanciest Acropora, the fanciest Tenuis with the fanciest name and 1,500, the piece with the little yellow ring on the top. <laughs> this is this is high class. And even the professionals have massive issues to keep them in coloration. Yeah, There are two, three, four people who can keep them in the original color. And I know that the, the first, um, the first um, uh, Walt Disney I see them on the shows, and I see them under daylight, under other yeah, ones. While what, in Europe, what, nobody seen them before. Yeah. What they sell today has nothing to do with the core which which was there. And I know that one, two, a few pieces coming to worldwide corals there, they put it in the reef tank, changes the color within a month, a month before. Not this glow, not this specific type of of colors which we're in. And um, everybody runs behind this. But at the end, it's not possible. And they forget how nice normal cores, I say normal cores, can be if you do them good in the reef tank and nice in the reef tank and, and uh, have a look on the right colorations and they can get together and not push every fancy cores because they have a good name in one tank and wondering why they don't can work each other. So, And I see that very often. Very sensitive SPS together with LPS. And uh, these are two different uh, habitats. So, Is, is, is the, uh, the name game a big thing in Germany or that's really not existent? Do people buy uh, named, uh, you know, acropolis? It becomes over-inflationation. So everybody, at the beginning, it was quite, quite okay. So it was really good. So it was clear. This course comes from here. This course comes mm -hmm. from there. But then we have some, um, after a few years, it's starting that we have um, a chocolate tenuis, which was a fucking brown coral, you know? So it's, <laughs> what was it and called? They called it, uh, chocolate. Chocolate, you know? okay. Yeah, Sounds so um, Swiss chocolate tenuis. So, oh, Swiss chocolate tenuis. Yeah, and make brown, it 80, huh? 80 bucks more like expensive. Like dog shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it becomes completely over. Um, now it's a complete chaos, chaotic situation. I think like in the U.S. also, uh, when you go to reefs in the list there, you have uh, 200 species of Acropora and 1,150 names. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. So. Hey, uh, so Claude, getting back to uh, acroreading flatworms, I think the first question in this chat was uh, about one of your products, um, Franklin uh, Datian, not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, can you guys talk about acroweeding flatworm X? I have good success with it, but multiple friends weren't so lucky. What is the advice for this? Um, on the website, it's always to this product, to this specific product with the X on it. There's uh, a HDU how to use on the website. And um, none of these products against worms 
can we use uh, the chemicals which works against the worms? So there is some uh, Prazi sample can be used against worms, so which you, which you need. But the problem is if you use it two, three times, then the worms get a resilience against this chemical. So they're also not a solution. This product, what we have now, this AFX, uh, blocks the development of the eggs and blocks the development of the adult worms. So it makes them very slow that the that uh, um, they need a few months now till they get eggs. The eggs are smaller and the babies, they cannot um, go further. So you can block them very good. But it's necessary that you follow this uh, HDU, which means we work with temperature, we work, we blow them away, the big one. We say especially don't dip the corals all the time because the most, the dipping nowadays makes the coral uh, easy uh, snack for the worms. They they love it. Meaning that they get um, um, they lose their um, they get a little vulnerable. They're just they're yes, because yeah. we destroy the microbiome of the coral. So we bath corals one time, and then when we have the meaning, it's something we take them out. We spray them a little bit with uh, with a strong salt water or with a fresh water sometimes, and we spray the parasites off and put them back. We have in the most tanks, when we have aquifer flatworms, then we use one or two victim corals. So like Acropora tricolor, Acropora millipora, one of them. And they... Tricolor, yeah. These corals... Yeah, tri tricolor. We bust them. So with these, uh, with these dips, which are nowadays there, which have the oils. And the oils are very aggressive to, this, to the skin of the coral. And so... The, and the adult worms, they love this because they go directly to this course, lay a lot of eggs on it because that's the perfect um, environmental then for the babies that the coral is not strong. She cannot fight against the worms. And then all the other cores were never affected on it. As soon as you have, if you go to the forecast, you see the parameters which you have to bring it in and then it works proper. And mostly I see at this tanks, which does not work proper, is that they, they, they put only the product in, but they don't do care of the course and to the environmental around that the course can fight against the worms by itself. And sometimes it needs a little bit longer. We have sometimes success in four weeks. We have some worms need some months till we get, get rid of them. But I'm always sure now that we have more than one species. We have two, three species of Acropora flatworms. And I mean not the new Acropora flatworm stuff. I mean really that what we call um, Acropora flatworm. We have two, three species. We have small brown ones, which are extremely aggressive. We have large yellow, white ones, which are very low. So I think there will come in the next few months and, and uh, years maybe more information about the, which type of species worms we have exactly. So the, uh, the product is essentially interrupting the reproductive cycle of the worms. It, it stops not 100%. The worms are really clever. So as soon as you start to dose something, they start to uh, lay their eggs earlier as normal. They produce other type of eggs. Um, they're reacting immediately against every mm. toxic situation coming in. But that's clear. Um, the parasites in the reefs, they have to fight against very, very uh, strong toxins from corals and from other animals there. So they, they, are, they can handle this extremely good. That's why we have also some problems with standard chemicals to work against them. 
Like even if you do a full dosing of a Prati tanksale, of a Prati sample, you can kill not more than 90%, 10% survived it always. And the problem is immediately after the first dosing, the 10% ha st uh, have a resilience against Prati. Hmm. And this is a big problem then. Yeah, that is a problem. Uh, so Franklin also had another comment about uh, aquarium flatworms. Uh, I've received several reports suggesting that it enhances SPS vitality and helps resist aquarium flatworm bites. Does this align with the expected outcome? Personally, I haven't observed this effect. That I must read again. I don't understand it. So um, pre pretty much what the comment is is that, and I've heard this before, that um, even if people don't have aquarium flatworms that uh, the use of this product will in, um, improve the, um, the vitality, the health of the, uh, the SPS. So people will dose this kind of product to uh, make, make the acros, I guess, stronger and less... Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but, go ahead. But there's, there's really one, one important thing is, if you have signs of worms, stop dosing amino acids and stop dosing bacteria products. Every bacteria product. They, worms love that. So this is fuel for them. So that's really the first, the first thing you have to reduce that and keep the tank clean and have a look on the elements. That helps. When you say keep the, the tank clean, what do you mean by that? The, the tank clean means not too much food. Okay. So if you have... Look, if you have um, a fish, you, you have some fish in and you have some corals in and then it goes nowadays, it goes that you have 5, 10, 11 different foods on the table. The first thing is, in this case, when this happens with uh, aquifer flatworms, is go to a frozen food or a granule food and uh, give food to the fish and that's it. Stop the most the 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 the, um, the core food can be good, but it's mostly not. Mostly, it's also fuel for the worms. So there, you really need a very specific food, which means it's protein and fatty acids, but not amino acids and not bacteria and not uh, um, small particle size of bacteria stuff, because that the worms like extremely good. It is. It is to go to strengthen the corals that they, they become more strong, and then you can, and then the, uh, the the products which are on the market now who works against this, they can then do their work proper. Um, what about um, the use of UV sterilizers and, and uh, activated carbon? Should those be discontinued when using the uh, the Aquarine Flower Max product? Um, it's not necessary, but it's better if you stop it, so they work better. So we have people who use it and they have success also. Um, but I think it's better not to use it. But on the other side, the effect on the course, that's also why I don't like UVC. Uh, you cannot dose anything in, in, in the tank without harming it completely. Um, the activated carbon, it depends a little bit on the carbon. There are carbon who can take it out and this is carbon on the market who cannot take it out. It, 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 that's, that's the problem. It's activated carbon is not activated carbon. There are many, many differences inside in porous and which source they come from. So with our carbon, it will not take out, but I know there's actual carbon on the market who can take out. That's why we said normally 
you can, but it's not. If it's not necessary, then don't use it at this time. Gotcha. Um, all right, let's do two more of these uh, forecasts. The um, the RTN forecast and the STN. Let's start with the um, the RTN forecast. And again, we're looking at um, some elements, and there seems to be um, there, there's some different elements here. Go ahead, um, mm. Claude, and and um, explain what we're looking at here in terms of the RTN forecast. Now the RTN is, I, th I think the RTN in the last months was mostly about these um, oil failure stuff. And uh, one of the elements which is so important is, uh, it's a boron in this in this case. Boron, yeah. And if boron goes under 3.8, then the oil failures uh, are highly in risk to getting um, RTN. Um, the problem of RTN is that we have several reasons on it. It could be bacterial disease. So um, if they are infected, uh, which come from Indonesia or from um, uh, Malaysia, sometimes the corals sometimes are so infected with bacteria and with ciliates that only dipping and only doing uh, antibiotic baths can help them, not a good water situation. If the cords are in a reef tank over the time and the, you're lost in your fluorine, you lost your boron, then it can create this problem again, or it can create the problems with RTN, which coming due to chemical decompositions here or, uh, or of wrong relations. So there are two different things why RTN can come in. And is uh, STN a similar story? No, it looks like you've got some different um, variables in play here, zinc, nickel, and um, yeah. the ratio of carbonate hardness to orthophosphate. Yeah, that's on the, that here we have a look a little bit more on the SPS. And there's one very specific relation is if you have a very low phosphate level, like 002, 001, and a high carbonate over 7.5, you're getting STN and a lot of corals like milliporous, like tenuous, uh, they hate this absolutely. And that's why it's a little bit different because here we look a little bit more in the SPS and on the RTN, which you have way more in LPS situations. So it's a little bit different. Zinc also seems to be a very um, important element in, in a lot of this. Zinc stuff. is absolutely important, yeah. And it's totally different in the use of the reef tanks. So you cannot say 1% um, of the calcium or 0.1% of the calcium is, is used in zinc. Yes, in calculation, it's right, um, but not in, in the practical using in the reef tanks. Even not if you have some uh, stuff as filtration. Um, I, I see very often in US and in Asia uh, calling bricks. So they, they, they put bricks in the, in the sump, so parts for reduction uh, nitrate or whatever. It's not used in Germany. Uh, and in other countries, because I think they know better that this is really nothing which uh, you have to have in a, in a sump area. Um, but there it's possible that you need a lot of things because you, you raise up the surface and how bigger the surface is, how more depot you, you, you start to concentrate and you dose the sink in and it goes immediately up to the surface. There it can be used and it can also come back to the cores, but difficult. It's always uh, the way is to have the surface in the reef tank, so the decoration as low as possible mm. and as much as possible corals. So the biology must be corals, not surface. 
I, you know, I, I meant to ask you this question earlier because you, you, know, you talked about young tanks and you're, you're talking about, um, you know, ceramics. I'm, you know, I think you were talking about starting with dry rock and, and, a, and a reef tank. Mm. And there's not a lot of live rock out there to start reef tanks, at least here in the U.S. What, um, how, how, how would you suggest somebody starting a reef tank these days start it out so they have enough um, of that biology, enough of the, um, you know, to, to, it just seems like when you start a tank with dry rock that you, there's not a lot of life in there and you've got to make a, you've got to, you've got to do a lot to, to increase that bio, biodiversity to a point where you're not going to have a lot of issues. How, how um, what's the best way to approach that these days? Also, the first is um, the rocks are not there to make a hardscape decoration like in freshwater. That <laughs> 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 is the, that's fantastic. Uh, they buy a 100-gallon tank and they buy 200 pounds of rocks. I said, what do you want to do? You want to sell the rocks? Or <laughs> so start with a, maybe start with a few rocks, not a lot of sand, and then with critters, so snails and uh, um, um, how I call um, hermit crabs, example. Yeah. So And start to feed them. Avoid dosing liquid phosphate or liquid nitrogen even if the phosphate is on zero because this goes in the deep pool and will create a lot of cyanobacteria and more problems later as you want start to go with food in like coral dust a sample from our country uh, from our company coral dust is more phosphate and coral sprint is goes more at these uh, nitrogen level but um, if you start today reef tank if possible buy some bigger colonies from France, which are too big or which they go around and fill them, do some toadstools or leather corals in so that you get biomass. After two, three, four months, take them out and change them to SPS, what you like or what you want. That's not a problem. But the, the worst thing now today is that we have a lot of surface, a lot of rocks, only a few sticks, mm. no biomass. Right. So everything goes to the surface and then we have the LEDs and then they pull full fire on light on it. It cannot work. So then they dose a lot of phosphate and together with the phosphate, the phosphate goes sink down. Uh, we have um, now systems nowadays, also calcus or something like that, um, which are high concentrated alk solutions. So at the moment, you dose these high-concentrated arc solutions in the water. You create precipitations. The same like happens in the Bahamas, but there's the water clean. We have only shit in the tank. So that's why all the dirt falls down, goes in the sand, creating depot effect. And yeah. this depot is organic, is calcium, is carbonate, it's all the zinc and all the metals. It is fertilizer. What you create is a lot of fertilizer. It goes well because the pH is high, so it it sits on the on the surface. It's a, it's a part of appetite, it's the mineral, and it's phosphate and calcium and, and, and dirt. But over the time, when the bacteria grows and the biofilm grows, they they releasing acids, and these acids bring all the dirt back, and then you have the overfertilizing in your system. And don't do that. Start with a few bigger corals. You can get them cheap from uh, all over. Not maybe it's not the nice SPS tank what you have in mind, but the way to the SPS tank, which is nice, takes some years. Yeah. Till you find out the stability, till you find out. And 
there are so many underrated cowards on the market nowadays. Oh, if you sure. have a, a nice red cap, um, a green cap, a red cap, and a and a violet ones um, together, these colorations are amazing. These uh, um, a Milka, Stalifora Milka sample. So one of the most beautiful these, corals out there, I think. Absolutely. Start with them. Let them grow. A good grow and a full packed uh, tank normally don't have any issues, and it's easy to maintain. You don't need a lot of elements. You need only a good system, um, which provides you with calcium and with uh, and with the right uh, trace elements, and even the knowledge about what is in the elements, like we have, we both discussed about it. It's, it's very difficult if you don't know what is in the product. Um, but at the beginning, um, to think, to understand an ICP and to understand all, all these, these biology, biolo biological things which happens there, this is not possible. And it's not possible to find out for a beginner nowadays who has experience um, who knows that? Who has a who has a farm? So if you go to companies today who has a farm, who shows in 20 years, 10 years, 20 years that they can do farming, of course, not uh, buying from wholesale, um, do some do some cuts and and sell them. No, no, farming. I mean re-farming. And there's not a lot of companies who do that. When you go in in the U.S., um, um, it's a top shelf aquatics example or some others around, um, they do farming since many, many years. There you know, they have knowledge, they have a way how to go. After that, if you have somebody who, who you can talk with, like a mentor that you have, then you, you find your own way. Then you change maybe the companies you use, the food you use, but then it's your way and then you know what you do. Right. So, and that's the most important thing. in In Europe, um, we in Europe, I have this problem some years ago. I find them, and I create a situation that we do um, that we starting to certify dealers. So we search dealers around of Europe, in around the world, where we know that they have a lot of experience. And then we do certification about ICP, um, testing what that means. And we go extremely in the deep. They have way more information as the standard test. And so they can do the support to the customers. Because we cannot do the support for all over the world. There are way too much people. Right. And you can see it on the lab database. If you go there, you can find, you can choose your supporter. And this supporter gets you all your informations and then he can go forward to you and can say, hey, I see your, your new um, analysis, do this, do this, or use that product on this way. So um, a, a couple of comments here from uh, viewers. Greg Carroll, Claude is really dropping some knowledge on this one. Sad that many people will ignore him and still look to mediocre hobbyist advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a way to sum it up, Greg. Um, so and Andy Bauma has got uh, a couple of good questions, um, Claude. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about your um, your data and, and, and you mentioned that you had, um, you know, a lot of data from customers that you're utilizing for the um, uh, database norms, I'm assuming. Uh, so th the question is, is that coming from both customers as well as your, uh, you guys have a coral farm. Yeah. Is that data also coming from your coral farm yeah, sure. or is it just customer data? No, no, that's um, the, the, the heart of the company is the coral farm. So it is, um, it's, 
Meanwhile, n never the biggest um, power to make the biggest turnaround. That's not. But we have uh, private customers coming into to the store every day. And uh, we ship uh, corals all over Europe about um, daily till between 10 to 50 packages, which we send out. And the feedback of that, that's also the reason why I still made the support. Because the support, um, I learn all the... Every day when I do support with people like you, I learn. Even now when you go to in the US and you work with different type of products, other meanings, I learn a lot about which goes directly into the lab, into the experience, into the data, what we say, because it's not only Germany, it's not only UK or France, it's all over the world. And uh, it's very important that I do the interpretation of myself. That's also the reason why I don't sit in front of the machine. <laughs> the guys who run the machines, they're specialists on lab technology. So they, their work is to create numbers, not numbers which I like. I need numbers. And me and my, my colleagues, uh, we are these guys who go to the lab and say, mm, I don't think this is correct testing. So, and then we, ha we always have a, a bit of fight. So we have our feeling, our emotion, and we say, hey, calls don't lie. I'm sorry, but maybe there's a mistake. <laughs> and the lab guys, they said, hey, come on, we do all right. We have this one. <laughs> and, um, you know, aquarists um, by self are always a little bit lazy. And when I go to the machine, yeah. I have, I know myself very good. So I will, I, I will push it a little bit on that side, which I like to have. And that's the problem. <laughs> So that I stop immediately. I said, okay, I do my job because I, I have to do the, the support. I have to do the experience. I, I need the feeling also for the people and for the courts. And it's impossible to do at the same times the technology pure and very disciplined and very great. And that's also a big difference why, which is in the labs. So there are not many labs in the market today which have coral farming. So it's daily, two times, we have the direct access to the farm, to the thing. And we find mistakes in testing and problems in testing over the years, which have nothing to do with a good calibration. Nothing. Mm. The calibration was perfect, but the level was still wrong. And that's how we find out. And we have really fights because I say, hey, um, I see that the calibration is right. I see that everything on the machine is okay. But I'm sorry, the coral looks shit. So <laughs> must be something. And then we search and we search and we search. And then from one day to the next, the lady come up and say, oh, we find it. Say, okay, what was the reason? One small uh, um, situation. Um, the syringes who takes the water out from the vials, if they have a little bit a touching on a while and there's a you cannot see with your eyes only under the microscope biofilm or something yeah no not biofilm they are cleaned that's that's not a problem but they touch the wilds a little bit and have a small part is broken or that but you cannot see by your eyes you see mm. under the microscope your bra mind level is wrong about five milligrams mm. so and the detection, the calibration is perfect because you have the same needle. You need to know when it touches, when, it's, when it, it hits, then the bromine level, you can forget it. So you need a new needle. So. 
Well, that's, you know, that, that is a, um, that is a great thing to have in terms of the um, eyes on the corals versus the data and being able to kind of uh, look at that to see if things are actually syncing up. I mean, yeah, like you pointed out, that's, that's something that not a lot of ICP, you know, labs have in terms of a coral farm. No, we are alone, I think. Are so you? the production and coral farming, and I do the coral farming now since uh, about 80, 86, 87, since we breed corals um, and now in this farm since 2000. So I have the experience of over 30 years. Today. And there's a lot of things like like the same is with your tanks. The products what you use actually, I don't know them. So I cannot say anything because uh, I didn't have them in my lab. I don't know exactly the yeah, composition. You're talking about so Captivate Aquaculture, yeah. Yeah, so and um, now I must go on my feeling. So only the picture what I have, that what you told me, and um, customers usually lie because they don't, they don't explain every, the 100% truth. It's normal you're really? blind on your own rifting. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, no, never. <laughs> no idea. Who said this? <laughs> no. Um, and so it, it's, it's um, there are these moments which, which is really difficult for me also because I have to find out what are you for people, how disciplined you work, and what is and when I see the pictures, then I can see um, okay, this goes in the right direction. So you, your last pictures now coming here, I see that you gain more growing tips on the corals, and they have this small shiny. So um, I say if you go now the way in the next two three months, you will see it that the colors will implode your your cyanus will gone and you will have a very stable system automatically you will see that and they get them brightened up a little bit more and um yeah it took time sometimes it, it takes so. a lot of time right I mean, we're, we're talking about months and um it's yeah. uh, it's so easy to um you know just kind of get frustrated and just say you know what i'm going for that quick fix because this this is taking too damn long and instant gratification is always a a problem this time I and mean, i think more so with the with the new folks coming in, so I think that's um, that's always a trait that I try to tell people that are new to the hobby is just have patience, have patience, try to try. That's that's reef keeping. Yeah, so yeah, and keep things stable. If you if you want things goes fast, then get out of the hobby. Go fishing. Yeah, yeah, no, get fishing. So that's something for the people who like stress. So so that's reef keeping. <laughs> so uh, so so Claude, it's uh, it's about a quarter to uh, to two in the morning. There, you're uh, you're on holiday. You're good. on holiday, man. I uh, I'm going yeah, on holiday tomorrow, so I got to get up freaking early myself. And um, really, yeah, you know, I got where you go. I'm gonna head. I'm gonna head down to um, to Rhode Island. Uh, tomorrow morning and then i'm gonna end up in in, oh, in new york nice. i'm gonna do a little fishing and then go see some family and whatnot in uh in the new york area and some friends so yeah you know rhode island is nice so i was it is i stayed there two three times yeah it is it is um and the weather's supposed to be really nice i hope it's so been, it's not like in florida so freaking <laughs> raining all the time here the but yeah florida's yeah, yeah. like so so damn hot yeah, well, come come to portugal so you will have we have perfect temperature it's always sunny <laughs> the sea is nice it's a little bit too cold the sea for swimming but it's okay. yeah yeah i hear you all right so, so uh so claude how, how can folks uh find your stuff uh the fauna marine um, products in the u.s and and in europe oh there there's some stores uh, carry that but um the store Store list actually has 
they are the main distributors. So contact them. They can tell you exactly which stores uh, run out. I know that there are some Primo Aquatic, Sogod Aquarium, uh, Top Shelf, and some others um, who carry the line. Uh, some parts, some have the line. So, um, But the best way is to contact on the sales at coralview.com, and they can tell you exactly where to get it. Coralview.com. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Claude, man, it was a it was a pleasure talking to you. We've been doing a lot of talking lately, and I I always enjoy those chats, and I really enjoyed this uh, this chat tonight. And I could see from the uh, comments and the questions, the uh, the viewers in, enjoyed it as well. So I want to thank you again, Claude, for uh, staying up really late, taking the time, and it's always a pleasure. Yeah, for sure. So thanks again to Claude for being on the live stream. Also, I want to thank both Bulkery Supply and Eco Tech Marine for sponsoring the show i also want to thank all you out there that tuned in and participated via the chat and put some comments down there asked some questions also a big thank you to paul who is the moderator as well as the president of the boston reefer society please join and support your local reefing clubs they are so important to this hobby also want to let you know that all episodes of rap on the reef bum are available as podcasts on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher and amazon my next Wrapping with Reef Bum live stream, and this is a this is a change in days. Now I'm going to be doing these live streams on Tuesdays, so the next live stream is going to be next Tuesday, September 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, going to have Alex Correa on, a hobbyist, also um, is a volunteer at the Waikiki Aquarium, so that should be a great um, episode. Had him on a couple of years ago. Looking forward to having that conversation with him. If you want to see the full upcoming schedule of guests? Visit reefbum.com. And check out the YouTube section. Until then, be safe and be well. We'll see you next time.